0: Hey there, welcome to the lounge. I'm all layered up in a t-shirt, sweater, and a light jacket. And I'm sitting in a 6x6 room that does not have adequate airflow. At the risk of offending your delicate sensibilities, I'm just going to go ahead and say, baby, it's cold outside. Feel free to pour yourself a hot chocolate with a liberal splash of peppermint liqueur if you're so inclined. Curl up with a warm blanket and lounge with me for the next hour or so. we have got stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythms of the season. The Lounge players are here to present another installment in their series of modern fables. In this episode, the unloved man discovers an unexpected connection at the local farmer's market. Double Batch Daddy will share a new original tune with us, I'll talk with a whole bunch of people about how they create a giving heart in themselves and how they share it with others. Ann Claus Farley and I will talk about a special holiday movie and we'll pair it with a recipe that's sure to put you in the spirit of the season. And later this hour, we'll tackle the big question. Why light a candle? So, here we are. A stone's throw away from the shortest day of the year. Sunrise in L.A. came at 6.49, and it'll be dark at 4.44 this afternoon. How are you feeling? Are you deep in the gifting, decorating, and partying mode yet? Or are you feeling more tired than usual? More depressed at the state of affairs around the country and around the world? Are you even feeling comfortable going out to stores and parties? At our production meeting for this month's lounge, my partners and I talked a little bit about how much this year has taken out of us and how large and overwhelming the problems of climate change and homelessness and addiction feel. We're frankly having trouble gearing up for a year-end celebration. But I think there's an invitation in that. It's an invitation to give a gift. Or maybe... It's an invitation to receive a gift from someone else. December is the last hurrah before we hunker down to start a new year. Our festivals, whether Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or Saturnalia, all honor taking stock of our abundance and sharing it with others. If Thanksgiving is a feast for us, the winter holidays are about sharing that feast with others. There's a scene in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, in which two gentlemen come to Scrooge's counting-house, asking him to make a small donation to a worthy cause. They say, At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than unusually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute, who suffer greatly at the present time. We chose this time because it is a time, of all others, when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. Scrooge's response is classic. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. Of course, Scrooge learns over the course of one magical Christmas Eve where his own wounds came from, where there is need in the world today, and how that world will look if he continues in his refusal to share his wealth with others. A Christmas Carol is a devastating journey into the darkness of a miser's soul. But as Christmas dawns, Scrooge is transformed by his personal dark night of the soul into a generous giver. Dickens writes, He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. I don't need to tell you that want is still keenly felt at the end of 2021, but if this year has provided any share of abundance for you, it's going to be good for you to share that abundance with others. Here are a couple of ideas of organizations that we support. Consider a regular gift to your local food bank. Non-perishable canned goods are always welcome. In addition, there are national, regional, and local homeless shelters that help your dollars go a long way toward feeding, housing, and healing those in need. Here in Los Angeles, we've supported the Midnight Mission, the Downtown Women's Center, and the Weingart Center, which partners with communities across Southern California to advance racial, social, and economic justice for all. Support public radio and television as a trusted source of unbiased reporting or subscribe to your local newspaper. The Jimmy Carter Center seeks to prevent and resolve conflicts, enhance freedom and democracy, and improve health. Heifer International seeks to end hunger and poverty in a sustainable way by supporting and investing alongside local farmers and their communities. And, of course, there are countless faith-based institutions working locally and internationally that would welcome your support. We're big supporters of the LA Climate Reality Project and Los Angeles Animal Services. The fact is that the best way to beat the holiday blues is to get into the spirit of giving. And if you find yourself in need, the best thing you can do is reach out and seek help. We can't solve global problems all by ourselves, but in the face of the growing darkness, we can light a candle and seek out others who are doing the same and watch the light grow brighter
1: and brighter. If only I could
2: gather all
1: the good The love said like a heavenly dispatch i put it in a bottle, brew a special batch And with not too much trouble for you and me I pour a double A double that good Step. No, I'll not soon forget I every step. Pour a double forget our every step I pour a double And double that
3: Once there was a man who suspected he was not well loved. There were many clues that led him to this sad conclusion, but it would take too long to go through them all. On a cold Saturday morning in December, the unloved man rose early and climbed in his car. He drove across town to a popular diner called St. Monica's and took a seat in a booth. He perused the menu for a moment as he tapped his foot on the linoleum floor. The unloved man was excited.
4: What can I get you?
3: Oh, uh, nothing
5: yet. I'm waiting to meet a friend.
3: As the waitress nodded and walked away, the unloved man exhaled. In fact, he was meeting his new friend. A few weeks ago, the unloved man was in a minor automobile accident with a friendly fellow who admitted to being completely at fault. This friendly fellow wrote the unloved man a generous check to cover the repairs. A check that quickly bounced. For this reason, the friendly fellow became known as the Bouncing Bro. When the unloved man went to the Bouncing Bro's house to complain, the two men quickly became friendly, due to their shared love for pizza, marijuana, and the extended versions of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films. After a lifetime of neither enemies nor friends, the unloved man had a buddy, a bro, the Bouncing Bro.
4: Sir, uh, hello? Can I take your order now?
5: Oh, sorry. I guess I was kind of
3: spacing out.
4: Your friend's still not here, huh? Do you want to go ahead and order? No, I'll wait. Uh, But thanks.
3: And then, because a flicker of irritation crossed her face, he added...
5: I'll have a coffee. With cream and sugar, please.
4: Coming right up.
3: Twenty minutes later, the bouncing bro was still nowhere in sight.
4: Do you think your friend is coming? Maybe you should send him a text or something.
3: Um...
5: Yeah, I guess I could do that.
3: Except he really couldn't, because while he had been to the Bouncing Bros' house on three separate occasions, he did not have his new friend's phone number. So he made a show of pantomiming sending a text with perhaps a slightly exaggerated flourish when he hit the send button. Ten more minutes passed. The waitress didn't seem so much annoyed anymore as pitying, which was much worse. At this point, the unloved man had drunk three cups of coffee and desperately needed to urinate. He went to the restroom and ran over the conversation he had with the bouncing bro in his mind. They had been talking about pancakes for some reason, and the bro had said,
0: Oh my god, St. Monica's has the best blueberry pancakes on the planet. Full stop.
5: I've never been there.
1: What? Dude, we are there.
5: You gotta taste these pancakes. Okay then. Um, when? The
0: drag about that place is it's super popular, so you have to get there early. Usually, on a Saturday,
6: I'll go around 9. It sucks to get up early on a weekend, but if you go at 10, forget it. You'll wait an hour for a table.
3: The unloved man realized, with a rush of shame that made his cheeks feel hot and prickly, that they never really had solid plans at all. The bouncing bro was speaking about a hypothetical Saturday morning at 9 a.m. He exited the bathroom and made a beeline for the table with a $10 bill clutched in his palm. He slid it under the edge of the coffee cup and turned to go.
4: What happened?
5: I'm, I'm so sorry to take up a table. Here, let me pay you for no, your...
4: No, you already left me a tip. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just tell your friend he's an asshole.
3: He's really not, though. But the waitress had already lost interest and walked away. A social encounter that was familiar to the unloved man. The unloved man walked out of the restaurant and pondered how he would have finished his own sentence if anyone cared enough to listen. Would he have said,
5: He's really not, though. He's not an asshole.
3: Or, would he have said,
5: He's really not, though. He's not my friend. I mean, if I'm being honest, I barely know him.
3: The unloved man had a strange sensation that he might cry, and felt ridiculous. To shake it off, he walked with purpose in the opposite direction of his parked car. After a couple blocks, he came upon a farmer's market. He did not frequent farmer's markets. He wasn't really a foodie. Supermarket produce tasted just fine to him. Plus, it cost less money. But on this day, he strolled amongst the stalls and looked at the peaches, the cherries, the green beans, and lettuce. He came upon a stall selling nothing but sprouts. He recalled seeing alfalfa sprouts at salad bars or eating them on sandwiches occasionally. It never occurred to him that there were this many different types of sprouts or that someone could base an entire business off of growing and selling such an item. He had a crazy thought that he would buy some, but there were so many to choose from and no samples He leaned close to look at them, and in the process nearly bonked heads with another customer. Oh,
7: I'm so sorry. Uh, Oh, it's okay. (laughs) That's what I get for reaching over you. Please, go ahead. No, no, I don't want to take the last mung bean sprouts, though, if that's what you were reaching for.
5: Honestly, I don't know what I'm looking at. I had no idea there were so many sprouts in the world. I thought alfalfa sprouts were pretty much it.
7: Oh, no, well, a sprout is just a seed that has been sprouted, so you can sprout almost anything.
5: Huh. Well, I'll be.
7: Have you ever had sprouted tofu?
5: Can't say that I have. Oh,
7: get out! You have to try it. It's got way more protein and vitamin D than non-sprouted. Oh, yeah? Oh, sure. Not to mention more calcium. The downside is when you sprout it, there are more calories. But it's good calories, you know? And all this stuff here is non-GMO. See, these are radish sprouts. Here's broccoli. You got your fan of Greek. And these are really nice mustard sprouts. You could grow these at home. They have a very fast rate of germination. Wow,
3: you know a
5: lot about sprouts.
7: Oh, (laughs)
3: maybe. There was no maybe about it. She did know a lot about sprouts and all other edible items as well. Ironically, all her knowledge didn't necessarily mean she enjoyed eating. In fact, sometimes just deciding what to eat for lunch started a torturous ethical and dietetic debate in her head. For this reason, she was known as the woman who knew too much about
7: food.
5: So, which is your favorite?
7: My favorite sprout? Ooh, that's a toughie. Well, I guess for me, it's a fenugreek.
5: I've never even heard of that.
7: Oh, well, you're missing out.
5: No, I'm not. Two, please. That'll be $10. Wow.
7: Yeah, no one ever said sprouts were cheap.
5: Here, this one's for you.
7: Oh, That's so sweet.
5: Don't mention it. (laughs) Cheers.
7: Oh. Huh. (laughs) They
3: toasted each other, clinking their cardboard containers of sprouts together.
5: Mm Mmm. These are good. Kind of bitter, but I like that. Oh,
7: these are like a miracle food. Good for your heart, for your metabolism. They even relieve PMS. Though, you probably don't have many problems with that.
5: No. Well.
7: (laughs) Well... Thanks for the sprouts. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go buy that pataya over there. What? Pataya. Dragon fruit. Oh. Uh,
8: I'd
5: never heard of that either.
7: What? You want to check it out? See, this one's already cut open.
5: Oh. It's beautiful. Wow. Do you eat those little black seed things? Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. It's such a brilliant... pink.
7: Sometimes it's white, too. Here, taste one of the sample pieces.
5: Okay. That's... good. Wow, that's like a little piece of heaven.
7: (laughs) Can I tell you a secret? Okay. The best dragon fruit is sold at the last stall on the end over on the right. But they're already out today. So, I'm buying from this place. It's good enough.
5: I think it's incredible. I'm going to eat it all the time, from now on. I'll take two.
7: No, let me buy it this time. I'll take two. (laughs) Thank you. Here, for you.
5: Thank you. I love this. I mean, I love this fruit. It's a really great fruit. I'm glad to know about it.
7: Cool. Well, I was about to head home, but it was nice to meet you. You too. Um... See you around the market sometime.
5: Yeah, definitely.
7: Well, um, have a good day.
3: Yeah, yeah, you too.
5: Thanks for the education.
3: The woman who knew too much about food walked away into the crowded central thoroughfare of the market. The unloved man purchased a half pound of Bing cherries, a tub of farmer's cheese, and a little spidery-looking thing called a rambutan. All of it was delicious. All of it. The unloved man and the woman who knew too much about food never saw each other
0: again for the rest of their lives. Farmer's Market was written by Matt and Carol Almos, who are the head writers for Live from the Lounge. L.A. Animal Services is more than a place to find your next pet. With six locations throughout the city of Los Angeles, L.A. Animal Services also offers support services for pet families, like the pet food pantry and monthly advice panels for dog, cat, and rabbit guardians. Another thing L.A. Animal Services offers is a chance for animal lovers to make a difference by getting involved. You can have a positive impact on animals in our community by adopting or by joining the team as a foster parent or a volunteer. Find information on how to access services and how to get involved at laanimalservices.com. Last month, I interviewed Ethan Dettenmeyer of Combat Radio, and we learned about how he was inspired by his daughter, Sean to work with her to create a magical Christmas experience for the children of social services all over Los Angeles. I had the great pleasure of attending the event this year, and it really kicked off the season for me, reminding me that there is a light that shines in the darkest night. I spoke with a number of people about how they deal with the encroaching darkness this time of year, and I was encouraged by the breadth of their responses. We'll start with the founder of the Feast, Ethan's daughter, Sean.
9: Hi, my name is Sean Duttenmeyer. Back in third grade, uh, my friend across the street, a very close friend of mine, lost their house. And so that was pretty much the catalyst for me wanting to start this event and do it every year. We're on our 11th year now. This is the one thing I look forward to every year. Everyone's like thinking winter, they're thinking, oh, winter break, uh, Christmas, and yeah, that's all well and good. But it's like, I have this that I focus on. I've never had like, a negative emotion ever associated with this event. It's great. Hello.
0: Hello, Erin Fitzgerald. Hello, It's Keith really Farley. good to be talking It's so to you.
9: good to see you in human form.
0: In this period of time, like yeah. we're going through a really dark period. So dark. Where do you feel the darkness is encroaching and then how do you yeah. light a candle. How do you keep going in the face Good of that? Good so
9: question. So the darkness, I guess, would come in the fact that I'm isolated. I am by myself in my house. You know, there are times where it um, gets itchy, I'm going to say, where I get itchy. And when I get itchy, I um, I use a word in, me- in contemplation. I sing the word hue to connect with the light, literally the light and sound of the divine. And I just sing hue... You see so even just doing it right now. Just calm like it just it I find it so calming in high stress situations, in um, it for health, protection, high stress. I sing you in the morning, declare myself a vehicle for the force, and then ask the force what is it that I can do today without anybody knowing that will help someone else and it could be something simple like helping one of my neighbors without them even having a clue that i'm helping them or um i have gotten really good at ordering things on amazon and randomly sending them to people (laughs) hopefully nobody who i've sent stuff to is listening to this Uh, but i get with no with nobody knowing where it's from like that is now my favorite thing it's a good remote I, i could do if i got a little extra money and it doesn't have to be something big it could be something small and inexpensive but Getting a random anonymous gift, I feel like that's such a fun thing, <laughs> you know, so and I've been doing it. And tis the season. And you're doing it all year long. I do it all year long. Because it, I like that feeling that we get and Christmas stuff, I like to have that all year.
10: Tad Stones, uh, 40 years in animation, 30 of those at Disney, Darkwing Duck, Chippendales Rescue Rangers, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Well, I do two things. One, uh, I mean, creativity has always been a a part of my, obviously, my career. So anyway, trying to get into new areas of creativity of of, uh, painting right now. What are you painting? Uh, Just, I I feel I'm still just learning. So it's mostly scenery, my granddaughter, my dog, um, you know, sometimes... Like, I was painting an alleyway once and just learning techniques in light, and it's like, well, oh, this is boring. So, I did put Godzilla in the background. For me, it, it's almost like a meditation. And so, when you're painting it or any, to me, creative activity, um, you focus, you become part of that world. And the other thing, um, as much as it's always maligned, social media, is keeping up contacts where you can't see people to just chat with people, whether it's Different subjects or friends, and just you know, posting positive things and, and uh, you know, encouraging positive things.
0: I am here talking to Fred Tatasciore, one of my
8: one of my dear dear friends. Oh, What's the
0: candle that that you light? To well, get you there's many the
8: candles. I mean, it's funny because we're in the middle of the of the Hanukkah and Advent candle season, which here, here. is all about hope. Actually, this is a big question because there is a lot of darkness, and I've had kind of a a tough year with, with loss. I think everybody has. And now you, you all you got to do is see the news and it's unspeakable horror right now. I'm in a lot of pain right now with my knee and all that. And i finding out that I just want to slow down. N- nature is telling us to shut down right now. It's hibernation time. And yet every uh, holiday thing is revving up. And I, I think it's just uh, every morning I try to just empty myself and just say, <laughs> God, please just use me, let's, let's, let's do some love. Let's just, how can I make every choice based on something positive rather than my fear reaction or, or in my case, depression reaction. Keeping present and having as much gratitude as possible. How do you do that? Meditation, prayer. Uh, uh, also, uh, I like to swim. Helps me a lot. Swimming gets me clear because it's low impact, you know. Me too. Uh, An ocean if I can. You know, it's cold right now, but that's that's a big thing for me. Um, art helps a lot too. Like writing and drawing for me. I love to draw. So that really helps me just kind of like if I'm feeling bad about something, my drawings sometimes they are kind of awful. It's like they're like a diary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like a... Diarrhea. No. no, they're like a diary, you know. <laughs> <laughs> diarrhea you art. the connection <laughs> diarrhea. between diary and diarrhea. Wow. You get your shit out. Right? Yeah? I mean, it really is. That <laughs> helps me a lot. And I always advise that to people who are de- having depression. Yeah. Uh, humor is the biggie. Oh, man. If you don't have that, you know, you're destroyed. I'm destroyed. I realize it's almost a core for me. I'll say one thing that does get you through is that you realize the state of the world is fraught. It is really hard. I mean, look around, you know. So even at your worst moments, you know, even at your tragic moments, you just have to say like, okay, yeah, this is part of it. This is part of it. We lose people. Things happen. And that's like, okay, maybe you have to dig a down trip for a little bit and just kind of like go, go through it and experience it. Because it's not always, you know, we have this thing of like, oh, we can't feel bad. Oh, we can't get angry. Have your emotions. Get angry. Have your freaking emo- Sorry, I shouldn't be banging the head. Dammit, dammit, tequila. No, uh, uh, have your emotions. You know, be- just it's what you do with them is yeah. what's the killer. Right. You, 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 you might, you might. You know, it's okay. You're just, a, you're a part of this entire machinery. And right. the, the, the illusion of separation that I'm not him, I'm not her, I'd never do that. Who are those people? No, we are literally (laughs) part of this energy (laughs) system. So that brings (laughs) you back to your choices. Yes. And how do I deal with what I have and try to make the most good of it if I can?
0: I'm um, here with Johnny Batos. Good to have you here, my friend. Good to tell us a little yeah. bit about yourself.
6: Well, I'm the uh, one of the founding members of a band called Oingo Boingo. We were really big in the '80s, and uh, about 10 years after we broke up, I started the band again because we had such a great fan base here in, in Southern California and the Southern states. It's called Oingo Boingo Former Members. Personally, I'm a very pragmatic person, really straight ahead. I'm a I'm a drummer, and I know that, you know, a musician. I know that every puts their pants on the same way. And and I also know for a fact that 30% of every group, social group, whether they're policemen, musicians, uh, firemen, 30% of every social group are crazy and 10% are volatile and nuts. And they make great TV. And unfortunately, we're being judged that way because 75, 70% of all Americans want health care for all seventy percent of americans and both parties want education for all seventy percent of all people in both parties want a strong police force seventy percent group are the people that that come to my shows the people that I really care about and that thirty percent group we just are entertained by them and that's what I see in the media. And unfortunately, the media is kind of choking us out by not bringing out that 70%. I do a lot of grounding, a lot of visualization. My drum teacher told me a, a great thing. I studied with a great drum teacher, Freddy Gruber, and he was really good. And he grabbed my arm one day and he goes, you know what? You know what's gonna get you in trouble the rest of your life? I go, what? He goes, your brain. You think too much. But one of my credos is is that you tune your drums every day. So what that means is I walk up to the instrument and I touch it to feel how it's going to vibrate. I retune it so that my ear hears it and it sounds pleasant to me. And it makes me want to play it. And then I play it. It takes all the frequencies and all the depression away. A friend of mine, I have a Native American friend of mine that does drum healings, and he has a thin drum, and he'll beat the drum around a person's body, and when, and when somebody has a frequency or vibration that's choked up, the drum gets short and goes, doot, doot, doot. So he moves the drums over and starts hitting it, and it goes, doon, 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 doon and it pushes the energy away, and the, and the drum will sing around you, and that's what happens. That's why I tune my drums every day.
0: I had a blast at Combat Radio's Christmas for the Children of Social Services. If we're meant to light a candle and shine it into the darkest corners of our world, Ethan, Lotta, and Sean Dettenmeyer are shining a Klieg light. I enjoyed talking to old friends and making some new ones, but I'd be remiss if I didn't give the last word to my mom. Barbara Farley is an educator and an education administrator who's been working with the homeless community in Sacramento since the early 90s. Here's a short chat we had about the work she's doing and the outpouring of support she's seen this year. Tell me, first of all, I think a little bit about the the homeless population in Sacramento.
2: Well, it's it's as invasive in Sacramento as it is, I think, everywhere else. The food closet, of course, serves the homeless, but primarily we are also serving people who are on that border. Uh, Not enough money, you know, maybe enough money to pay the rent, buy gas for the car, but not for food. We serve 25 people a day, 25 families. Uh, We run out of a building on the church campus that is a combination warehouse and storing facility. People call in in the morning, and give us their number in the family and any special needs that they have. And then we package items customized so that a family of one is different than a family of six or seven. And so their food is ready for them when they arrive, they drive up, open their trunk, we put the food in the trunk and uh, they drive away. Normally we have uh, a number of grocery stores. There's Feed America is the government program. And if grocery stores recycle their food to food banks, they get a tax break, we get the food. But recently, um, one of the things that spurred our conversation was a special food drive called Kids Can, K-I-D-S-C-A-N. And it's coordinated with the school district. And during the month of October, we distribute boxes and flyers to the schools and they collect canned goods. And that's about anywhere from 5,000 to six or 7,000 pounds of canned goods. This year, we collected 20,000 pounds of canned goods. It is overflowing. We can't even sort it all because we don't have enough place for storage. You know, that's 10 tons of food, which I just think is amazing. And reflecting on it, I realized that this was an apolitical activity. I think there is a desire on people's part to do something, but not sure what that looks like. So an opportunity to bring a canned good to school represents an ability to do something, and there's nothing connected with it. And I think that's reflective of why we were so overly successful this year, in this um, canned goods collection to me especially with advent you know one of the candles for advent is hope this is gives me hope because there certainly are many times when i feel rather hopeless and frustrated with what's going on in our communities and the view of the homeless but there is this glimmer that there are people that do care and that they want to respond in some way and they do
0: whether you paint or draw or write or swim, whether you tune your drums every day, meditate, pray, or invite divine light into your life by singing Hue, it's the practice of taking care of yourself that allows you to move into the world to take care of others. Many thanks to Sean Detmeyer, Aaron Fitzgerald, Tad Stones, Fred Tadashore. Johnny Vatos, and Barbara Farley for taking time to share with us the way they face the darkness by lighting a candle. Let us know how you keep your home light burning this time of year and how you take that light into the world by joining us on social media or drop us a line at livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com. We'll be right back with Dinner and a Movie.
1: Home for the holidays I believe I missed each and every phase Come on and play one easy Let's turn on every love light in the place It's time I found myself Totally surrounded in your circles Oh, my friend Number, please celebrate me home. Play me one more song that I always remember that I can recall whenever I find myself too all alone. I can sing Somebody tried to tell me, but the man forgot to tell me why, I gotta count on me. bound
0: welcome back. It is the dinner and a movie segment. And as always, I am joined by my constant companion in film and food, my wife, anne Claus Farley.
4: Hello, Keith. Good to see you. Happy holidays.
0: Happy holidays, indeed. The theme of, of this month's podcast, of course, is about lighting a candle and about finding light in the darkness of the world. And um, the movie that we're going to share with you today, I think does that just about as brilliantly as any movie that I've ever seen. Christmas movies can tend to fall into a couple of categories, I've discovered. There's like the Hallmark rom-coms where there's some sort of goofy premise about people falling in love at the holidays.
4: Which I adore.
0: And then there's the sort of consumerist movies uh, this year, there's the um, 8-bit Christmas with Neil Patrick Harris, which is sort of um, trying to be a Christmas story and then replacing the Rough Rider rifle with a Nintendo. Christmas? Pretty much is a 90-minute <laughs> commercial for Nintendo. I was a ColecoVision fan back in the day.
4: I was kicked the can. I lived in the desert with nothing <laughs> and a string and a can and a Your hill. <laughs>
0: VR. Right. Like Without the V. Yeah. It was just reality. Reality. (laughs) (laughs) But the movie we're going to recommend may be one that you've seen before. And if not, uh, are you in for a treat? So, Anne, I'm going to turn it over to you.
4: Of course, It's it's a Wonderful Life. It's a film that stars James Stewart as George Bailey. And he's a man who has given up his dreams in order to help others in his community. And whose suicide attempt on Christmas Eve brings about the intervention of his guardian angel Clarence Oddbody, which is played by Henry Travers, who's adorable.
1: Spectacular. Yeah.
4: And Clarence shows how George, how he has touched the lives of others and how different life would be for him and his wife, Mary, and their family and his community of Bedford Falls if he hadn't been born. It was not the hottest ticket in town when it came out.
0: Didn't it come out in the winter or spring? Of...
4: spring of 1946. And they did it so that they would get it in in time for awards. The 1947 um, Christmas movie was going to be a miracle on, on 40, 34th. It, 34th Street. Yeah. So. So they didn't want to compete with that, and 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 it failed at that time because it's 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 also a time period in the time period post World War Two where um, life was just starting to get back into the throes of economic and social and spiritual success, and so Frank Capra decided to do a film that was hopeful, that it was really about the optimism of being human, and there isn't any. Cast better than this one with Jimmy Stewart,
0: and Donna, Donna Reed, Reed.
4: Oh, the incomparable. I mean,
0: and she's amazing. Lionel Barrymore. Yeah. Um, it is two of the greatest actors who worked in the mid 20th century. You throw in a Barrymore and then a whole cast of stellar character actors. It is a masterclass in what you can do, plus the writing and the right. directing. Uh, and the story, it just is, it's a movie that adds up and holds up over time.
4: It was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It had been recognized by the American Film Institute as the... Uh, hundred best films ever made um, it was number 11 on the American Film Institute's greatest movie list it was number 20 in 2007 as that year's greatest movie list it was number one on it on the list of the most inspirational films of all time Frank Capra said it was his favorite movie of all time Jimmy Stewart said it was his favorite film and gosh he's so amazing I mean he there isn't a beat in that movie that Jimmy Stewart isn't just this most incredible, vulnerable male self. He's sarcastic. He's funny. He's Well, the great thing clever. about the
0: story that, that I love, it's about a guy who wants to get out of the small town life. He wants to go and do big things. Right. And every step of the way, he has one setback after another. The night before he leaves for college, tragedy. The night before he leaves on his honeymoon, tragedy everything just keeps pulling him back into the town he watches all of his friends go on to found factories and be heroes in the war and everybody comes back to this town as these huge larger than life and successes yeah. successes and he's stuck working at his dad's saving a loan giving out little tiny loans so that people can buy houses
4: He's stuck until he learns to believe in what he's doing. And I love it that, you know, the movie is also talked about being such a socialist movie. Well, it
0: is. It's a a movie that where you really see the power of giving and that George Bailey selflessly gives constantly throughout this movie. He's constantly sacrificing. And that in his moment of need... When Clarence comes and shows him what life would be like if he'd never been born, he realizes that the tragedy that he's facing that causes him to want to commit suicide can be helped by the community coming together and supporting him.
4: The lesson in this is investing in community, which I think in America, we have a really hard time remembering what that actually means. People always ask me, you know, oh, what's it like to live in Los Angeles? And and I said, well, you know, I really try to be thoughtful about my neighborhood. Yes, I, I belong to a business in Hollywood, but I'm also a North Hollywood uh, citizen.
0: There was a a period in the early aughts when you and I were struggling pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um, We had two little babies um, and all the work that we had done in the late 90s sort of was done. And we were trying to figure out what to do next. And it was our community that that came and threw down for us. Um, We had some friends who were able to gift us uh, a van.
4: Uh,
0: We accepted a turkey and a Thanksgiving dinner from our preschool because we couldn't do it for ourselves. And it's that give and take that we had been involved at the preschool. We'd helped out at the preschool. And when we needed that community to support us, we were able to receive those gifts.
4: What makes me sad about this movie is knowing there's so many people who don't know how to be involved and and that those of, of us who know how to be involved always have to teach and share that information with people that that is a pathway to um, having a community that is part of your extended family.
0: And there are times when you're on the giving end and you can help other people yeah. and there are times when you need to be on the receiving end and to be able to take that help from the community that you've chosen to be a part of. And that's what this movie is all about. It's a movie that's going to touch you, uh, touch your heart. It's not afraid to go to the dark side of the human experience and then to come out on the other side and be part of the light and the community. So we highly recommend It's a Wonderful Life. It's kind of a classic uh, for good reason. Uh, And if if you've seen it, hey, it bears repeat viewing. Um, And if you haven't, boy, are you in for a treat.
4: It is a treasure. It is one of those um, American ideal movies. Hey, Keith, why don't we pair the movie with uh, something like
0: Mulled Wine? A mulled wine. It's something that uh, Clarence the Angel orders when he comes back with (laughs) George Bailey and he sits down at the bar that serves... Hard drinks for hard men, I think is the way the, yeah. <laughs> Nick puts it behind the bar. And he orders a uh, a mulled wine, easy on the clothes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you haven't ever had mulled wine, it's a great way to sort of warm up the kitchen and warm up the house and uh, warm up your belly when you're sipping on it. It's basically a red wine. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a very expensive red wine. In fact, it should not be a very expensive red wine because you're going to add... Uh, some citrus, mm-hmm. and a lot of spices to the mix. So you want a wine... Um, like a Merlot? Merlot or... Um, Sinfonel. Or Grenache. Okay. Something like that. Don't go expensive on it. Again, $10 to $20 bottle is going to do you just fine. The spices that go into a mulled wine, um, which you want to go easy on, you don't want to do too much spice. You want those whole um, cinnamon sticks. You want whole cloves, you um, and that's the key. And maybe you want to sweeten it up with a little maple syrup mm. or honey. Um, you if you can find two small oranges and slice those up, throw those in there as well. Then you get a little citrus pop on the top. You get those cloves and the cinnamon uh, as a bottom note. The wine kind of sits in the middle, and a little honey for sweetness. A great way to cook mulled wine. You want to sort of you want a low heat. So that all of those flavors can start to blend together. So a great way to do mulled wine is in a slow cooker. Oh, wow. Two bottles of wine, cloves, cinnamon, star anise, slices of orange to taste, and then let that sit on low heat for about an hour.
4: Oh, man, I'm doing that this weekend. Sounds good to me. All right.
0: So our suggestion to you is to find... It's a wonderful life. It's not a difficult movie to find. It's playing on cable all month. We own a copy. I suggest you do that because you're going to want to go back and watch this movie each and every year. And we're going to pair it with a, uh, a nice, warm, mulled wine. That's our dinner in a movie for the month of December. Uh, enjoy. It'll restore your faith in humanity, and the mulled wine will get you all nice and warm inside. And what could be better this time of year when it's cold out? Yep. Happy holidays, Keith. Happy holidays, Anne. See you on the couch.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Playing Nintendo.
0: (laughs) The world is growing darker, my friends. In the past two years, we've lost millions to a disease that's ravaged our globe. Around the world... There are a quarter billion people, 250 million human beings, who've reported contracting COVID-19. Over five million of them have died. The world is growing darker. We're starting to experience the effects of a climate emergency that was predicted half a century ago. Hurricanes ravage our coastlines. Droughts starve our valleys and plains. Winter storms destroy our power infrastructure, leaving people to freeze. Extreme heat does the same. And the most vulnerable among us, the aged and the infirm, often succumb to suffocating death. It's getting darker. In our U.S. cities, we witness a mix of the economically disadvantaged, the chemically dependent, and the psychologically unstable struggle to survive and coexist in the streets. The world is growing darker. We're being pitted against each other. Lies are being sold as truth. We look around and we see enemies to be feared rather than neighbors to be welcomed. We fight, we worry, we despair, we give up. It's too much to handle. And the world grows darker. What are we to do? My friends, I believe in the power of stories and ritual to heal us. So follow me as I share with you three stories about impending darkness and three rituals that honor overcoming it. The first is the story of Hanukkah. In the second century BCE, Syrian Greeks had invaded ancient Israel and were imposing their beliefs and traditions on the Jewish residents. It was an oppressive occupation, and the Greek army was strong. In 168 BCE, the new Greek king massacred thousands of Jewish people. And, to add literal insult to this injury, he erected a statue of the Greek god Zeus, where the second Jewish temple of Jerusalem once stood. It was a season of oppression, massacre, and war. But our Jewish friends did not give up. Led by Judah Maccabee, whose name literally means the hammer, the Jewish people were able to drive out the occupying army by fighting smart, and they succeeded in restoring the temple to its place at the center of their traditions. The only problem was that the Greeks had defiled the oil used to keep the candelabrum at the center of the temple lit. The seven-branched menorah symbolized the seven days of creation— and it was meant to remain burning throughout the night as a reminder that knowledge and wisdom are always shining, spreading divine inspiration throughout the world. But there was only one day's worth of sacramental oil on hand, and it would take eight days to prepare new oil for the menorah. The story goes that one pot of oil managed to keep the menorah in the temple lit for the entire time it took to make fresh oil. Today, this event is celebrated by lighting candles. Each day, a candle is added to the menorah, and the menorah is placed near a window where its growing light can be witnessed by all. To honor the miracle of the oil that lasted eight days, the gathered celebrants eat fried potatoes and jelly donuts, play games, and sing songs. Here's another story of darkness transforming into light. Ancient Bethlehem was ruled over by a Roman dude named Herod. Now, there are a few Herods mentioned in the New Testament, but this one was known as Herod the Great, because he called himself Herod the Great. And despite being a Roman occupying the land of Israel, he liked to call himself the King of the Jews, too. He was famous for oppressing the people of Bethlehem, but he was also well-known for erecting huge buildings and putting his name on them. Also, he didn't trust his kids at all. In fact, he murdered three of them because they weren't loyal enough. The story goes that three mystics showed up one day following a star that they believed was leading them to Bethlehem. They requested an audience with Herod, and they asked him if he'd heard the news of the birth of a new king of the Jews. This sent Herod into a rage, and he ordered all of the newborns in Bethlehem to be slaughtered in order to protect his title from usurpation. Fortunately, the mystics were also good detectives, and they were able to discover and save one little baby that was born out of sight in a barn to a construction worker and his wife. That baby turned out to be Jesus of Nazareth. Today, many celebrate this birthday with a gaudy display of rampant consumerism. But there are still those who honor the season of Advent, the season of waiting for the four Sundays before Christmas by constructing a wreath of evergreens, a symbol of the virtues that never pass away. The wreath is decorated with four candles around the edges, plus one in the center. The observant likes an extra candle each week, one for hope, two for love, three for joy, and four for peace. On Christmas Eve, the candle at the center of the wreath is lit to honor how love, joy, hope, and peace can come together in us, even in the face of growing darkness. The debilitating darkness of the American story is centered on its treatment of its Black population. It's impossible to extricate the rise of America from its history of trafficking in human beings. Once slavery was abolished, on paper at least, the almost immediate implementation of Jim Crow laws succeeded in creating a society of segregation where Blacks and whites lived on, quote, separate but equal tracks. When I was young, I took a trip to Jackson, Mississippi with a group of friends to help move a black-owned thrift store into a new warehouse space. One night, we took a little drive through Jackson. The first part of the drive took us through glacial estates with enormous rolling lawns fronting gigantic houses, many of which featured Greco-Roman design flourishes. Then we crossed the railroad tracks. The contrast could not have been more striking. Suddenly, we were driving down barely paved roads past shotgun shacks. So named because you can fire a shotgun through the front door, it'll go straight out the back door. Separate and equal? Hardly. In 1964, The Civil Rights Act was passed, which nominally ceased the practice of segregation. And the Voting Rights Act of 1965 finally gave blacks the right to vote, nearly 100 years after slavery was abolished. But it wasn't long before an American president instituted a war on drugs, which unsurprisingly, was waged much more fervently in communities of color than it ever was in the white enclaves of debutante balls, country clubs, and universities. Add to that the process of redlining, a practice used by banks to deny home loans to people of color who wanted to buy a home in a white neighborhood. Once the banks had successfully dictated where people of color were allowed to live— their corporate partners were discouraged from investing in food and health resources in these neighborhoods. It's been a systemic and relentless oppression of a segment of the American population that is only now, finally, beginning to be recognized for what it is, an ingrained and shameful race-based bias against our neighbors. In the face of the systemic oppression of his people— the African-American historian, Dr. Malana Karenga, proposed in 1966 a week-long festival that would take place at the end of each year to invite the Black community to come together in a spirit of reverence, commemorate those who've gone before, and recommit to the seven values that make a community strong. Each night, during the week between Christmas and New Year's, families come together and add a candle to their candelabrum, which is called the Kinara. Each candle, as it's lit, invites the gathered to focus on a value that lifts up and empowers the community. And each night, the light from the Kinara grows brighter. The values of each candle are unity, self determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. Three stories of oppression. Three rituals that remind us that we can overcome it. We can't stop the world from growing darker. It's just the way things naturally flow. But we can remember that we've been here before. And we can remember that darkness eventually passes effortlessly into dawn. And until it does it may be wise to light a candle. The world is growing darker, my friends, and it's easy to become overwhelmed by it. Oppression still exists, and the weather is out of control, and injustice is rampant from the highest levels of power down through the social structure of society, onto our schoolyards and playgrounds, and it comes right through the front door and into our homes. Remember, it's easy to hurt yourself in the dark, to run into hidden obstacles. It's easy to lose your sense of direction, to know which way is up. It can be confusing and disorienting, and it's tempting just to give up. But the best way to maneuver through the darkness is to light a candle, then light another one, and another, and another. And while you do, think about hope. Remember creativity. Honor knowledge and peace, and unity and self-determination, and faith and collective action. Honor love. And that's our lounge. At this point, I'd normally ask you to go to livefromtheloungepodcast.com to make a donation to our cause, and of course we'd welcome anything you're able to share with us. But I'd invite you to visit our website to also find links to other organizations that could use your support, and I promise that a portion of the donations you share with us will be shared with them. Here's the Who Did What. Live from the Lounge is produced by Anne Kloss Farley. Our theme music was written, arranged, and performed by John Ballinger. You also heard John's arrangement of Celebrate Me Home. Double Batch Daddy performed a new original tune called Double That Good. Look for a new record from them in 2022 and check out their live performances on YouTube. Double Batch Daddy is Cal on vocals and bass, Dutch on vocals and guitar and backs on drums. Matt and Carol Almos are our head writers. You heard their radio play, Farmer's Market. John Beauregard played the bouncing bro. Albert Dayan played the unloved man. Alina Phelan was the woman who knew too much about food. Anne Claus Farley played the waitress. And Carol Almos was the vendor. We welcome Charles Dayton to the lounge. Charles provided sound design for the big question this month. And my deepest gratitude to Sean Dettenmeyer, Aaron Fitzgerald, Tad Stones, Fred Tadashore, Johnny Vatos, and Barbara Farley for talking with me about all the myriad ways to take time to light a candle inside so that we can take that light and share it with the world. And I'm your host, Keith Farley. We'll be back in a month or so with more stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge.